Welcome to the Family Law Now podcast. I'm Russell Alexander. Today we're going to talk about the role of the family professional for families that are going through a divorce or separating couples. Our guest speaker today is Jonathan Painter. Welcome. Thank you. Son of a diplomat, traveled the world. Uh, where are some of the more interesting places you've traveled to, Jonathan? Um, well, I've lived in uh, Switzerland, Thailand, India, China, and France. But I also got an opportunity to travel to Pakistan, Nepal, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong. Um, I've traveled all over Australia and you know most of Europe. So I, I really love uh, traveling. Exciting stuff. Do you have yeah. your next trip booked? Yep, we're going to the Azores, which is part of Portugal in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in uh, at March break. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a great trip. So tell us a little bit about your qualifications. You're a family uh, professional, but for the public, what does that mean? Did you go to school for that? Do you have special training? Yeah, so uh, my, my background's in social work and counseling psychology. Um, and uh, I've been working in the kind of family law field for about uh, 13 years. And I started at the Office of the Children's Lawyer, and then I worked for the Kawartha Family Court Assessment Service for many years. And I've been doing, um, been trained as a family mediator, family arbitrator, um, and um, a collaborative family professional as well. Um, and I have a whole bunch of other certificates and trainings as well. So you've seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> and the communities you're serving right now, Southern Ontario, Southeastern Ontario, what centers do you usually uh, help families in? So um, most of my work is in, in Peterborough and Lindsay area, but I also serve Durham Region, Coburg, Halliburton. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty wide area. And today we're going to talk about 10 takeaways about a family professional's role. Just by way of background, uh, a lot of our cases here at this firm are collaborative practice cases. My personal preference is to start with a full team, which includes a family professional, which is what you are. Sometimes we end up in court, and there's still a role for you to play when we go through the court system. We have the Office of the Children's Lawyer. You've talked about that a little bit. We have Courts of Justice Act assessments, which you've participated in before, I assume. That's right. And we also have private assessments. So maybe you can start there. What's the difference between a court-ordered assessment and a private assessment, and what can families expect? Well, um, the process for me would be the same, regardless of whether the referral comes from the court or another uh, referral. And the basic uh, process is for me to meet with the, the parents individually or with their partners, um, and then um, have a session where we, we meet with the parents and the children together. And we also review information from uh, collateral sources like schools, doctors, um, social workers, counselors, and those kinds of things. And then we um, write up a report making recommendations about what we think is in the best interest of the children in that individual situation. Now you're not showing up in lab coats with uh, <laughs> measuring sticks or anything. No. It's, I understand it's a fairly informal process in yeah. terms of what the family can expect. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's more of a conversation where um, the, the parents get to tell me their story and, uh, and identify what the issues are from their perspective. And you'll sometimes meet with the children? Always meet with the children. Will um, it be in the school, at a doctor's office, at your office, where the meetings occur? Um, it depends on the age of the children. Um, sometimes it's at the office, sometimes it's at their home. 
um, and I have met with children at school as well. And you, my understanding is you like to meet with them when parents bring them in separately on multiple occasions, but what's the goal of that process? Um, just to ensure neutrality, um, to make sure that both parents have an opportunity to bring the children in to, to meet with me. Um, and you know, it, re it really depends on the age of the child too. Obviously, if they're an infant or, or a toddler, then I won't be meeting with them individually. I'll just be meeting with them and their parents together to see them interact. Um, and if they're an older child, um, then I'll, I'll, I'll be both uh, meeting with them and their parents and meeting with them individually. And then sometimes when they're teenagers, I'll just meet with the children individually and not meet with them and their parents. Right. And it's easy for us because we do this every day uh, for the lawyers and the other professionals. But for a family that's going through a separation, it's kind of an overwhelming experience. Uh, we're sometimes speaking a language that's different because we're in court. We're using court forms and documents and rules. Um, and let's just say uh, a client comes in and his lawyer tells him we're going to get an assessment. It seems kind of overwhelming. Um, why would a court do an assessment? What's the purpose behind it? So th that is one of the drawbacks of the assessment process is it can be very stressful for the parents to go through it. But it's um, the unknowns, right? It's like, it's the who are these people looking at my family and how are they going to tell me to live my lives or when I'm going to see my kids? Exactly. Um, but from the court's perspective, it can be really helpful to get background information that the court wouldn't otherwise be able to get and get it from a neutral point of view. So right. one parent may present all this information against the other parent and the other parent may do the same thing, but it, all that information is coming from a biased point of view right. um, to support their position, whereas the um, You get a he said, she said, they start throwing mud at each other and they'll say, remember the time you left little Johnny in the car when you went to the bank machine and exactly. the judge can't weed through all that based on affidavits or documents. And the the assessor does a really deep dive, right? right. If, if there have been issues with the police or the Children's Aid Society or issues at school, they'll go and, and access the information that will explain what happened and uh, so help them really understand the, the, the situation in depth. You can assemble and access these third-party agencies to get the data and the reports and then do an analysis for the judge. That's correct. Now only, of course, with the parent's consent. Right, or a court order. Or a court order. Right. Okay, so we have some tips here, and um, this really is just the tip of the iceberg, but let's talk about some things that people can understand why it would be helpful to engage your services. So manage emotions. What are we talking about here? So. Um, Pretty universally, uh, the separation process is very stressful, um, and a lot of the times the cause of the separation is a lot of the negative emotions that build up during the marriage because of various conflicts or affairs or other issues that they experience. So that can make the negotiation process post-separation really challenging. Right? right. And I'm sure you've seen that many times where parents come with a lot of emotion and that emotion really interferes with... Uh, with having a, a, a good and fair negotiation. And people are often at different stages of the separation. So I know when we work together collaboratively, some people just cannot make a decision until they reach, uh, an in, there's an impasse because of an emotional uh, experience they're having and that we need to manage that before the team can move forward. Or, you know, another scenario, if one parent's really, really angry and is yelling and getting upset every meeting, that's 
you're not going to be able to get very far right. with that, right? The meetings usually shut down or break down. Somebody can end up in tears, unfortunately. Uh, e anxiety is high, and then you can't process information either or make exactly. a rational decision. And even if the points that angry person is making are valid, the other person's not going to receive them well. Right. Um, so a family Just the way they present them. Exactly, yeah. So a, a family professional um, can help manage those emotions and uh, help work with one parent or both um, to, uh, you know, help them refocus on what's important to the negotiation. Even basic communication, like using yes. I statements, not you statements, reframing the same idea or criticism. Exactly. But in a neutral fashion. Exactly, yeah. Excellent. Second tip you have is to prevent harm from coming to your children. So what are we talking about here, Jonathan? Well, um, I want to emphasize the separation process isn't inherently harmful for children, uh, but it is a stressful process for them too. They can often feel like powerless, helpless, um, lost, and um, there are things that can occur in a separation that can harm the children. So for example, if they're exposed to conflict or um, if um, they lose access to one parent, um, you know, especially if that parent was an important part of their life before, or if um, the, the primary parent ends up living in poverty post-separation. Um, so a family professional can work with the parents to kind of refocus everything on, the, on what's best for the children and ensure that whatever outcome um, occurs meets their needs. And that's one of the guiding principles in family law, the best interests of the child. Exactly. Uh, and really what courts and professionals try to do is put the children's best interests first yes. and protect them from harm. Yeah. Third tip you have is to understand attachment and how it relates to parenting schedule. This is kind of an interesting concept. Can you first talk about attachment and, what are, and sort of define that for our listeners? Sure. So attachment happens in the first two years of life. It usually starts around six months and is usually complete around two years. And it is one of the most important developmental stages that a child will go through where they develop an emotional bond to a parent. And the idea is that um, uh, in nature, uh, a child is safest with their parent. And so they develop an emotional attachment. They feel like they want to be close to that person because that person can keep them safe. And even though now we live in you know, a relatively safe place, uh, that process still exists. And so when a child is about six months old, they start crying and getting upset when they're separated from their parent. Um, in separation, uh, when you have children that are between zero and two, you want to make sure that whatever circumstances existed before the separation are continued post-separation so that the, the child isn't being uh, taken away from one of their attachment figures because uh, that can be really emotionally harmful for the kids and have long-term negative consequences for their, um, you know, their mental health, their ability to manage their emotions and all kinds of other things. So you're not talking about this idea of a tender years doctrine where one, the child should be with the mom until a certain period of time. You're talking about more continuing with the routine that occurred prior to separation? That's exactly it. So um, children can attach to anyone. It doesn't have to be their mother. It doesn't have to be their father. It could be a so grandparent. So the plumbing doesn't care. 
It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It could be their daycare provider, their aunt, their uncle. Whoever looks after them the most is the one that they're going to have the strongest attachment to them. And if two parents are roughly equal in terms of the care that they provide for the kids, in terms of changing diapers, soothing them when they're upset, uh, helping them get to sleep, um, feeding them, bathing them, just generally looking after them, the child will form attachments to multiple people at the same time. Um, so if you have a situation where both parents are roughly equally involved before the separation and then after the separation one parent has a much reduced role in the children's life, that could be harmful for the child. So just exactly what you said, you want to try to keep the circumstances as similar as possible to maintain consistency for the child. And I think you made a really interesting point there. Grandparents can form a real attachment and uh, connection with these children. Unfortunately, the rules regarding grandparents are evolving slowly, mm -hmm. but uh, when spouses separate, they're sometimes severed from one set of grandparents, and that could really affect the child as well. Mm -hmm. And again, because um, the they sometimes play caregiving roles when the parents are at work or they need Often, to, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the family professional can help refocus the, the parents and, and help them understand, well, in order to... Uh, you know, focus on the best interest of the child, you want to maintain things as consistent as possible. So if they're having regular access to that grandparent, you don't want that to stop right. once the separation happens. So the attachment is, is important to think outside of the box in terms of not just mom and dad, mm -hmm. but what's the role of the extended family and how can we continue with that or should we continue with that? Exactly, yeah. All right, your fourth tip we're going to talk about is the voice of the child. This seems to be the flavor of the day. We're seeing a lot of OCL, which is Office of the Children's Lawyer, appointments for the voice of the child. Sometimes they can have a quick turnaround in terms of timing as opposed to a full assessment. I think the court's starting to recognize that children's uh, views and preferences are going to carry some more weight. They're not going to decide matters. But we're seeing a shift towards voice of the child. So what are we looking at here? Yeah, you're so right. Um, you know, the, the new Child, uh, Youth, and Family Services Act specifically recognized how important the voice of the child is. And the new Divorce Act is probably going to do the same thing. Um, so I think increasingly it's, it's become a very important uh, piece of the puzzle that has been missing in the past. And, you know, children want to say in what happens to them. And especially the older the child is, you know, teenagers in particular. And I already mentioned that children often feel powerless after the separation. And giving them a voice can help them feel less powerless. They have a say in the matter. Now, because they're kids, the adults still have to make the decision. But their input is really important. And some kids are better than others at making good decisions for themselves. Right. Maybe a child wants to spend all of their time with one parent because that parent doesn't put any restrictions on bedtimes or what kind of food they eat. We have very immature 15-year-olds and very mature 11-year-olds. Exactly. Every child's different. So the family professional can, can meet with a child um, and it would look similar to the assessment process where um, one parent brings the child in and then the other parent brings the same child in um, and just obtain their views and preferences to help understand what their perspective is. And the difficulty for the court parents and lawyers is that with these older children, they're just going to get up and walk out. Yeah. They don't care what the court order says. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go live at dad's place now. And if we're talking about a 15-year-old uh, who's got their own 
set of friends and social pressures and everything else, it's going to be very difficult to change that decision. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like you've had a very similar experience to me because I've had a couple of situations where I've sat down with parents who haven't gotten along for a very long time and they sit in my office to mediate. We, we successfully and stressfully get uh, a complete parenting plan in place. Uh, they show the parenting plan to the child and they completely and utterly reject it. Right. <laughs> so uh, obtaining the, the voice of the child is often a really important step that is missing and if you don't you might do all that work for no reason. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, the fifth point is to provide family mediation and uh, we've done mediations before there's uh, a lot of benefit to working at resolutions outside the court system. So what kind of mediation can a family professional provide and what should families expect when we're talking about mediation? So the the so many benefits to mediation. One is that it's faster, cheaper, and the parents have a say in the outcome, right? If you go to court, the judge might make a decision about your, you and your children that you may not uh, like or appreciate, um, whereas in family mediation, you have 100% say in, in what happens and what the outcome is. Um, so family mediation involves uh, a neutral third party, such as a family professional sitting down with both parents. Sometimes they're lawyers. Sometimes, often they're lawyers, yeah. And um, helping to facilitate a conversation between the parents right. um, to, to create a parenting plan. And that can include any kind of um, dispute. Yes. You could be mediating contents, pots and pans. It could be a parenting schedule. Who, who has the family dog? Who gets the dog? Who gets yep. the family Bible, right? Yep. <laughs> That's um, right. It could be something fairly significant, such as uh, jurisdiction. If somebody yeah. wants to move out of the community uh, and away from the other parent. Yes. That's a big issue. Those are really challenging mediations to do, for sure. And I think, um, you know, mediation has come a long way. Uh, the, I think it was about 30 years ago, I think it was 1989, that the province started funding uh, mediation because they, at the time, started these pilot projects recognizing that they might be able to save a ton of money by preventing people from going to court. And now there's a uh, subsidized mediation available right. in every single jurisdiction in Ontario. And, um, you know, in in the collaborative family process, the family professional will often help mediate between the parents to come up with the parenting plan. Right. Um, and that can save a lot of time and energy. And, and it's timely. You need to be mindful if you're going to court it might be three or four months until you see a judge. The judge will give you recommendations. Often to go to mediation? It could include mediation, yeah. and then you may have to come back four, five, six months later to see the judge again. Mm -hmm. Mediation can happen as soon as next week, exactly. depending on everybody's schedules. Yeah. So you're not waiting for a decision which you may or may not like, you're participating in the process. The other thing to keep in mind too is that the court process is very prescriptive, right? There's a set number of court appearances that you can make before you have to start thinking about a trial. Right. Uh, whereas family mediation can be tailored to your situation. So sometimes the family mediations like what you describe where you know you're in and out within a couple of weeks and you have a parenting plan and you're done. Right. But I often have situations where one or both parents have a lot of issues. Uh, either with each other or individual issues. So for example, um, I had a situation where one parent had a, an issue with drugs 
and the other parent was not willing to um, agree to anything until that party started getting help for their drug addiction. So I was involved in that situation for a long period of time as the uh, parent progressed through the steps of getting treatment and then getting drug testing to prove right. that they weren't using drugs anymore. And then once that was done, we could come up with an appropriate um, parenting plan that worked for and well, as a lawyer, mediation is great for us because if we're having a full collaborative team meeting, very expensive, could mm -hmm. run up to $1,000 an hour if you think yeah. you're paying two lawyers and two neutrals, um, plus your own time taking off work uh, that you have to go see your lawyer. Uh, if, a, if we have a family professional doing mediation ahead of the team meeting, oftentimes what I'll find is at the first meeting we'll have a parenting plan prepared by the mediator, agreed to by the parties. So right off the bat, this meeting, which would usually last four or five hours, is now down to two hours. So you're saving enormous amount of money by going through mediation and getting these issues off the table before, if you're doing it collaboratively, you meet with the full team. Now, do you have a lot of mediators as part of your team? We do. We you have do. several that we use, uh, including yourself. and. Um, Usually the the opposing counsel will agree, let's get them to mediation work at a parenting schedule immediately. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a separation, um, parents can always wait two, three weeks for their first session. They're not seeing uh, their child, so mm -hmm. we need to get that started right away. Yeah. One thing I want to ask you about, though, and this is a bit of a curveball. When we mediate, uh, sometimes people are medi mediating for different reasons. So they may be saying, I want shared parenting. Then they start counting days, and one parent will be concerned about child support. Well, if I give up that extra night, I'm going to get less in child support. How do you get through that hub when the finances interfere with the parenting schedule? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's kind of three layers to mediation. The first layer is uh, the position-based. So if someone says, I want half time, and the other person says, I want this much for uh, child support, then you want to go to the deeper level. What are the reasons why uh, that person wants half time, or why does that person need that financial support? Right. Those are the interests, right? Um, but now I think the, the trend is going, to, uh, is going towards an even deeper level of analysis where you provide what's called insight mediation, where you help the parents understand each other's perspective in a more in more depth. Um, so that's generally the approach that I would take. And Which is great, because if you don't do that, you're going to hit impasse. Well, and you and, and I have been in situations where, you know, the first thing one of the parents says just shuts the conversation right down. I'm not changing the schedule for three years. Yeah, yeah. and you're sitting there <laughs> thinking, where are we going to go from here? Yeah. So, yeah, getting to those interests can help. Um, get around those roadblocks. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so our next tip that we're going to get, number six, is referrals to relevant service providers. So what are we talking about here, Jonathan? Family professionals are generally experts on what services are available in the community. So if, uh, you know, I had a, a case recently where, where the child um, has been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. So understanding, well, what are the services out there to help support that child through the separation process? And also, um, you know, separation is very hard on parents, and they may need counseling. Where do they get it? Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of services out there available for uh, parents and children. And um, I think 
you know, the community and the government recognizes that it's a very challenging time and that's why they put those services in place to support and people. Your other example was addiction, yeah. uh, drugs. Um, sometimes they have anger management so they need to get into um, a program to help yep. them understand how they're interacting with their other family members. I just had a mediation client recently who had this amazing uh, breathalyzer system where he carries around this little uh, device that he blows into. The, the device recognizes his face to make sure it's him that's blowing in and it reminds him you know, at certain times of the day that he has to breathalyze to prove that he's not been right. drinking. Um, so knowing those sorts of things can be really helpful. Um, because one parent might say, you know, he has a drinking problem, there's no way I'm going to give him any time with the children. Um, so if he can prove that he's not drinking, then you can get around that impasse. So it's the developing methods and tools to rebuild the trust where mm -hmm. the relationship with the children could be expanded or additional time could be considered. And these folks often have no trust for each other. Right. So getting someone else involved, either as a counselor or to prove whether or not they're using drugs or to get a letter from the anger management counseling proving that, that he did or right. she did go to the program uh, can help get around that trust issue. And what's unique about a family professional is you're a neutral. You don't have a dog in this fight. You're not advocating mom's position or dad's position. You're simply receiving information and trying to find some common ground. And trying to get around roadblocks, right? Seeing right. them coming and, and finding ways around them. Great stuff. Number seven, help with communication issues. Now, when we do matters collaboratively, we have communication guidelines we expect everybody to follow, including the lawyers. Yep. Uh, oftentimes, relationships break down because of communication issues, so you're sort of getting people at their worst yes. in terms of communication, trust, um, goodwill. So how do you help with communication issues? Yeah, so just like you said, communication problems are usually the reason why the marriage broke down or the relationship broke down in the first place. And so after separation, things get even more stressful than they were during the marriage. Uh, and so the communication breaks down even more. So, <clears throat> Well, you have separate homes, yep. separate finances, you might lose your children. Yep. Your identity has changed. Usually people are identified by their marriage yes. and their relationship. So people are in real crisis. They are. So as a family professional, we can help. Help the clients understand how their communication style might interfere with you know, either um, their communication about the child or the negotiations in, in mediation or in collaborative law. Um, and, and generally, um, I don't, have you ever heard of uh, Dr. John and Julie Gottman? No. So they're gurus in the um, couples counseling right. field. They're so successful now, they own an island somewhere in the Caribbean. And um, they studied thousands of... So they don't have to talk to anybody? So they don't have an to island? <laughs> or people have to fly oh, out okay, to see them. Oh, got it. All right. <laughs> so they, they studied thousands of couples over decades and found that um, they could predict uh, the success or failure of a relationship it, with over 90% accuracy based on their communication style. So what they found was that if, if somebody makes a positive comment, the other person is twice as likely to come back with a positive comment versus a neutral comment, right? So if you say, hey, Russ, thanks for getting me a coffee. That was really kind of you. You're more likely to come back with a positive comment right. uh, than if I just said, oh, I got my coffee. And I said, where's mine? 
Yeah. yeah so, thanks for getting me a coffee. Now it has a different <laughs> connotation, right. right? So if if you say a negative comment, you're five times more likely to get a negative comment in response. So that can spiral things out of control really quickly. And some of the common kind of themes of negative comments that happen in couple relationships are things like contempt, dismissing the other person, criticism, and being defensive. So if you, you're if you did something wrong going on the attack. Kind of right. So when it comes to contempt, the relationship's pretty much over yes. once we get to that stage. Yeah, it's, it, and, and that will come out in the negotiation process. Usually and, the first mediation session is full contempt. Yeah, or things like eye rolling or right. lar, you know, loud sighing, those kinds of things. So or how, laughter when yep. the other person's talking. <laughs> That's right. Dismissive laughter when, like, when you're someone, doing, like you're doing to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> when, when someone asks for you know, sole custody and 100%, the other person laughs. Yeah. Um, the, I think what is also important is the form of communication. And uh, yeah. there's lots of tools that are out there to help parents. And we see oftentimes text messages, which are terrible. Mm -hmm. I, and you know, they might be getting them at 2 a.m. after a couple too many drinks. Yes. And the other spouse knows how to push the other one's buttons. But when we go to court, this is the first thing the judges go to. It's a text message. You know, who's misbehaving here? Mm -hmm. How bad is it? And really, it's quite astonishing what people will say behind a computer uh, keyboard or uh, the keyboard on your phone. So one thing I think that is great, and I know you've uh, got some experience with this, is uh, various programs, including My Family Wizard, yeah. which help filter some of the uh, less sensitive messages. So can you tell us a little bit about that when we're talking about communication? Yeah, so I, I love our family wizard. Um, and just for the record, I don't get any money from them. No kickback, No right? kickbacks, yeah, but no product uh, yeah, they, they have a, um, a warning. Uh, if if a, a parent's message to the other parent's getting kind of snippy, um, they, they have an algorithm that will detect that and say, mm, maybe you shouldn't send that. So yeah. that's a great strategy. You already mentioned um, reframing things as I statements. Right. That's a, you know, that's a helpful um, technique, but it really has to be taught because otherwise someone might say, you know, I feel angry when you're being an asshole. Um, right. You know, so that's not a very effective I statement. And then also understanding the difference between demands, like you have to give me 50%. Mm -hmm. versus requests. I would really appreciate it if I could have more time with the kids. Right. You're going to have a much better impact if uh, you're using a request versus a demand. So uh, teaching the um, parties those techniques can make negotiations go much more smoothly and the, the end result, you know, people come out happier, um, they get it done cheaper, faster, and um, with much more satisfaction. And the other advantage of these programs, my family, our family wizard or the other ones that are out there is you have a record of what's been said. Yes. Uh, so somebody will say, you didn't tell me about the doctor's appointment. And you can say, well, it's there in my family wizard. You just yeah. didn't check. It helps build trust and you know, you have a, um, it helps clients understand that communicating is really essential to trying to come towards some type of mediated uh, resolution. And, and why? Because it's in the best interest of the children right. for the parents to communicate effectively. Now the eighth tip we have today, Jonathan, is you help people deal with stress. Uh, it's an overwhelming experience, probably some of the worst experience people let 
go through when they have a separation or a divorce for the various reasons we talk about. How do you help clients and parents deal with stress? Yeah, so I, I can't overemphasize how stressful separation is. Um, I've been through the experience myself and it was very, very difficult. Um, so family professionals um, have a lot of techniques that they can help teach the clients um, and also just identify so sometimes it just it's enough to validate their stress saying wow you know this must be a really difficult experience for you and and just hearing that can really help someone feel validated and understood and and that in itself can can help them but with specific techniques we can you know help with deep breathing exercises mindfulness um, you know supportive counseling all those kinds of things can help someone feel better about the process. Even talking to your family doctor might be a first good step. If you don't have a family professional and you're going through a divorce, your family doctor will also have resources you can turn to or counselors you That's can right. uh, help with the stress. Especially if you live in like Lindsay, Peterborough, Coburg areas where they have family health teams, they have right. mental health professionals, they have mindfulness groups. If sleeping is a problem, they have groups to help people sleep. Um, unfortunately, we don't have that in Durham region. Right, yeah. yeah. No, it's so important. You know, mental health is at the forefront of everything we're doing right now, and it's um, certainly reach out and, and talk to your family doctor or your counselor if you're feeling stressed about the process. Talk yeah. to your lawyer. Your lawyer also has services that they can refer you to. And the doctor might also, you know, be able to write you off work for a period of time so you can help recover from the, mm -hmm. the stress of this. And um, the great thing about having a family professional involved in the process is that um, their role is flexible. They can do whatever that family in particular needs. So that might be um, you know, doing the mediation, it might be working individually with the parents to help them cope with stress, it might be working with the kids to help them adjust to the uh, separation. Um, and overall, that's gonna reduce the amount of stress that parents are gonna feel. And for lawyers, we need to be confident that our clients understand what they're signing and what they're agreeing to. And if we're seeing these red flags or if they're overwhelmed with stress, oftentimes they're crying or they're breaking down. Uh, I'm not comfortable having them execute an agreement that they may call me the next morning and say, what did I sign? Yeah. I have no idea what just occurred. I would want them to see uh, a family doctor or give it a week and let it marinate, talk to some friends before they sign it or their family members. Because I'm concerned, you know, even going to a case conference, which uh, is a hearing before a judge, and I've done this with clients and I thought it went well and the judges give, gives us recommendations. We step out of the courtroom and they turn, my client will turn to me and say, what just happened in there? They have no idea what the judge is saying. It's just completely shutting down mm -hmm. and I think you probably see the same in mediation when people hit a wall and they're just not in a place to make it get to an agreement well and, and the stress might be so much that their goal in the negotiation is to end the stress right. not to do what's in their and the children's best interest home yeah or agreeing to For, I'll agree to whatever because I just not, want this to be over agreeing to a parenting schedule yeah. that may not be in the children's best interest exactly yeah, yeah. All right, our ninth tip is to be neutral. Now, this is probably, for a lawyer, one of the biggest advantages of having a family professional get involved in a case. But what are we talking about here when we're, when we're talking about neutrality? Well, the, the, lawyer is, uh, the lawyers are there to represent their clients and their clients' 
uh, interests and uh, a neutral party, whether it's a financial or a family professional, is there to see the big picture and to say, okay, well, this is your position, this is your position. How can we make a plan that works best for both of you right. and the children? Um, so I think having that neutral um, perspective can really be helpful in pointing out uh, any flaws in uh, the positions that people are taking or uh, the plans that they're coming up with. Um, so, um, yeah, being, being neutral, I think, is a really good piece of the puzzle. And lawyers are trained to be advocates. We may not agree with our client's position, yeah. but it's our job to advocate that position on our client's behalf. When we work collaboratively or when we work with a family professional, my job becomes easier yeah. because I have a neutral party who is not advocating either side presenting a plan. And everybody's concept of fairness is different. What may be fair to you, I may find unfair and vice versa. But usually the family professional can come up with a plan that's acceptable. Yes. And it comes by, from a neutral, so it gives it some added credibility. So from my perspective, if I have somebody like you, Jonathan, presenting a parenting plan, although I may not agree with it because it's becoming it's coming from a neutral party that's trained to deal with families, I'm likely going to recommend it to my client because it's not a position being advocated by the other side. Well, I like to um, the cloud or process because in that process you're not looking at um, a win-lose situation. Right. You're trying to say, well, how can we all be happy at the end of this process? How can we all be financially stable at the end of this process? How can we make sure the kids are well looked after at the end of this process? And I think when you go to court and it's an adversarial process, it's really hard to see that. And um, it, you're encouraged to take a position uh, in opposition to the other person. Whereas when you're working in a collaborative group, um, you're really focusing on how everybody can win generate options based on the client's goals and interests. The team can be a magical place. Brian Galbraith, is, uh, his favorite saying is that, and I agree with him completely. Yeah. It's incredible what a good collaborative team can generate in terms of options for families going through separation and divorce. Yeah. So our final tip today, Jonathan, and thank you for being here, is to provide support to the team. So what are we talking about here? Well, the separation process isn't just stressful for the family or the individuals involved. It's also stressful for the lawyers and the financial professionals and the mediators sometimes as well. So having a team approach can really uh, take the load off and you feel supported. And I think you generate, a, a, like you said, like a, a better range of ideas when you work as a team as opposed to working individually. Sometimes you gotta mediate between the two lawyers. That's not true. The, parents. <laughs> the lawyers are going off and uh a different direction than uh, the parents. That is true, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, my experience of working in a team is it's quite different from working right. in a silo, and I much prefer it. And um, although there are some times when the lawyers will go at each other, I, I would say, you know, 99% of the time, it works out really well, and all the lawyers are um, you thankful. you remind the lawyers of the communication guidelines. That's right. They apply to you, too. <laughs> Play nice in the sandbox. They're yeah. trying to work at a resolution. Yeah, but I, I find that generally, like the lawyers who are who gravitate towards collaborative uh, practice, um, are, are they do that for a reason um, because that's 
the approach that they prefer and they can recognize the value for their clients as well as you know their own sanity and stress levels right and for many lawyers court's sort of a default position you know okay. we've done the trials we we've seen how the court system unfortunately can wreck a lot of families in mm -hmm. terms of wealth and and stress and this is certainly a better way to approach it yeah i totally agree and uh, i've i've been uh, involved in the litigation process too as an expert witness being put on the stand and cross-examined and I can testify that it's much more stressful than the collaborative approach where you're all working together as, as a team. So these have been great tips today. Thank you so much for being here, Jonathan. Any closing remarks? Um, no, I just want to thank you for letting me be part of this. This is really wonderful. Yeah, and anybody listening out there, if you're going through a separation and divorce, uh, whether or not you have children, Certainly consider using a family professional to help you through all these issues that Jonathan and I have talked about today. We hope you found this podcast informative. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and family.